You're listening to the Dating Diaries podcast with your host, Gemma Joel. If you're tuning in to this episode right now, there's a chance that you're feeling heartbroken. But on the flip side, there's a chance that you're not feeling heartbroken at all and you just wanted to listen to a podcast. No matter what brings you here today, I hope that this is a topic you can resonate with because heartbreak is universal. In the first season, I recorded an episode all about how to navigate a breakup and today's episode is essentially expanding on that and I've got a wonderful guest joining me called Rosie Wilby. Rosie is an award-winning comedian, author and fellow podcaster who has appeared many times on BBC Radio 4 programmes including Women's Hour, Saturday Live and Forethought. Her first book, Is Monogamy Dead, was longlisted for the Polari First Book Prize and followed a trilogy of solo shows investigating the psychology of love and relationships. Her new book, The Breakup Monologues, is based on her acclaimed podcast of the same name and is published globally by Bloomsbury. So it's safe to say that Rosie is very well versed in this topic today and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, Rosie, and welcome to the Dating Diaries podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. No, it's great. I know that we had spoken before about doing an episode when me and you had connected via LinkedIn and then Instagram. And I remember looking through all your content and I was like, we need to do an episode on breakups because (laughs) not only will it be, you know, a fun conversation, but hopefully a beneficial conversation that listeners can, you know, go for a walk and a stroll. And if they're going through heartbreak, try to see how they can take themselves out of it and almost like make themselves feel a bit happier. Well, absolutely. That's definitely the way I think we can eventually look at heartbreak because the subtitle of my book, which is the main title is The Breakup Monologues, which is also the title of my podcast. And the subtitle is The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak because I definitely believe that once we've gone through the really horrible painful part we do start to reflect on why a particular relationship hasn't worked and we start to grow and heal and learn more about ourselves and we can make better choices going forwards about who we might want to be in a relationship and be with in a relationship but also we can embrace that time of being single when you know it may maybe it wasn't wanted initially mm. but then you know when some time has passed we realize we've got the gift of having some time to start some new adventures maybe start that new career that you had been putting off when you'd been sort of ensconced in the coziness of commitment um, we can sometimes get a bit too well within our comfort zone and we don't push ourselves when we're in relationships um, because maintaining a relationship takes a certain amount of effort and living with another human being and and, you know if you've got children pets I don't know elderly parents and, and other people to worry about that's a lot so sometimes those times when we are single we can actually be incredibly authentic and think about what we want and need and and what we want to do and we can pursue some of our dreams in that space and certainly the times when I've done things a bit out of my comfort zone like starting a career in stand-up comedy or writing a book once many years ago after a breakup I started a boutique PR agency which is still sort of going but (laughs) mostly I'm busy with writing books and doing comedy and podcasting now I think it can be a time when we can embrace a new 
freedom and you know it sounds cliche but the idea of a new start a new you and just reinventing yourself which can be incredibly liberating and exciting once we've got past that uh there's no specific word. I did an Instagram poll and I said, describe heartbreak in one word. A majority of them said shit. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I completely agree with you. But I also agree with the side that, you know, once we've got through the really difficult part of initially going through a breakup, it can be such a good learning process. And I feel like every person that you date or every person you're in a relationship with, you unlock a different part of yourself with time. And as you get older, you you start to unlock this new version of you that you may not have necessarily found had you not gone through that period of self-reflection and, you know, the, the general heartbreak stuff. And I meet so many people who say they're a bit suspicious of people who've never had a breakup, you know, if they've married their childhood sweetheart. I mean, those are really lovely stories and it is quite something to keep a relationship mm. together over the decades and decades but I do think <laughs> you know how can you really explore yourself if you don't have that sort of uncomfortable time of going through a breakup which makes you ask the difficult questions perhaps pushes you towards seeing a therapist or talking to friends talking things through with with people who are close to you or that you trust so I think it's a really important time, like you say, for self-reflection, for learning, for moving forwards, mm. and, and sometimes for a bit of humour as well, ultimately. I mean, I started Breakup Monologues podcast uh, when I got dumped by email many years ago. Email? And, um, yes, yes, I know. I mean, now it wow. seems quite polite, doesn't it? Now we just have ghosting. But at the time, I thought it was a bit abrupt. I expected mm -hmm. a face-to-face -face conversation. And so I used to joke about it and say, oh, I felt much better that once I'd corrected her spelling. So I do think that lots of fellow comedians and authors and performers and creatives who come onto my podcast to talk about breakups, they've said that there is a real value in sharing their stories sometime after the fact. So, you know, with a bit of hindsight and that time for reflection and that time to, I guess, see your own responsibility and the part you played in a relationship going wrong. I mean, we can sort of paint a very one-sided picture, can't we? And we can think that oh, we're yeah. somehow... <laughs> <laughs> completely blameless and mm -hmm. all our friends should take our side our ex is completely in the wrong we're right about everything and then we perhaps start to see a more nuanced picture as time goes on oh I wholeheartedly agree and it all depends on you know who broke up with who how the breakup mm -hmm. went down they're never smooth and if they are I always feel like there's something wrong because I had <laughs> my my long-term boyfriend we were together for four or five years and you know it was really smooth to begin with and I thought no this is not right like surely not and then like you know shit hit the fan it got a bit I was like this is a breakup this is normally what happens but I am really interested to know about your background how did you so you said obviously you started the breakup monologues when you very sadly got dumped by email if anyone's listening to this please don't use email as a form of breaking up with someone because it's not very nice <laughs> But with your, yeah, with your background and what you went through, how did that lead you to where you are today and writing the book? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a long story, really, my creative journey. I was a musician uh, many years ago when I first came to London in the 1990s and uh, also a music journalist 
um, for Time Out magazine back when that used to be like a big magazine full of really important information about what was happening and you couldn't find all this information on on the uh, on the internet you know so um, we would get listings for gigs come in via the fax I'm slightly distracted because my dog is uh, crying in the background I was just Don't about to say I think I can noise. hear an animal oh bless <laughs> yeah I think she's uh she's yeah there's, there's she can come and join us if she wants I often talk on the podcast about how um who gets the pets in a breakup and you know there's custody battles over dogs who does get who does get the pet I'd love to know your opinion on that yeah well typically it's if you owned the pet when you came into the relationship that's pretty clear-cut that that you're the owner what's up she, she agrees uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that you're the owner of that pet uh, or if a, one partner paid for the pet or tends to pay for their vet bills and, and care and, and that kind of thing I mean obviously my my wife and I we we got married uh this year um we're not planning, thank you well and so in some ways I'm the proof that actually learning from your breakups can maybe help you figure out how to sort of settle down in the end that's that's the idea but yeah we have a cat and a dog and she sort of pays all the bills for the dog and I pay all the bills for the cat which was my cat before I came into the relationship so if you know something terrible happened that meant our relationship went pear-shaped which you know not not planning that but mm. things happen sometimes but I, I hate to think of that because I adore the dog and she adores the cat you know as well as you know, us having, I suppose, those kind of primary care responsibilities that, that we've sort of divided out like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But yes, anyway, I was saying I used to be a musician and a music journalist and was kind of gigging around London with a band and with my guitar slung on me back and uh, doing gigs as a singer-songwriter. I then, I decided to start stand-up comedy because people had been laughing at the things that I used to say in between the songs and my stories of what inspired the songs often relationships gone wrong and so on in the sort of mid early noughties I started dipping my toes in the London stand-up circuit and entering comedy competitions and I was in the finals of a competition called Funny Women in 2006 the final was at the comedy store and so yeah, then just started going on touring and doing Edinburgh Fringe and writing comedy shows that I toured around. And fairly quickly, in about 2009, I decided to embark on, well, what I perhaps didn't quite realise at first was going to be a trilogy of solo shows all about the psychology of love and relationships. Mm-hmm. And so... I toured a show called The Science of Sex, which was a kind of spoofy and subversive sex education lesson. Um, Excellent. So looking at all the things <laughs> we wish we'd learned at school and, um, you know, talking about sex and love and relationships in an inclusive way mm. that included LGBTQ plus relationships, which certainly hadn't been included back when I was a kid at school. <laughs> mm. um, and then I did a show called Is Monogamy Dead? Which was looking at how we negotiate longer term commitment and what our boundaries around that are. What do we mean by a term like monogamy when perhaps it's not as universal black and white as we think? You know, for some people, cheating in inverted commas would be, you know, a more emotional type of cheating, falling in love with somebody rather than 
having sex with somebody or kissing or specific kind of physical acts. Mm. So I realised that some of these questions are more sophisticated and nuanced than we think they are at, at face value because um, lots of people might say oh I'm in a monogamous relationship but they haven't even discussed with their partner what that what that means I mean I certainly yeah. never had and so it was just really interesting to me to start meeting people who were non-monogamous and polyamorous and negotiating relationships in a really different way and that journey that I went on has really informed how I go about having monogamous relationships and how I communicate in them and negotiate boundaries and space and being sort of two separate people in in a couple in a relationship and I think I learned so much from my friends who were polyamorous about how to negotiate that and how to communicate that because I guess if you're going to have an open relationship you've got to talk about stuff you've got to communicate whereas many of us in more traditional monogamous relationships are really bad at communicating because we don't realize that it's still really essential to do it's just like you said like no well, not many monogamous couples even talk about this kind of thing. So how do you know that your partner isn't interested in this? And and it normally would take, you know, someone to cheat or something else to happen to open up those kind of conversations. So I think it's a super interesting topic of conversation. Really, really interesting. And it also changes the conversation about breakups as well in a really interesting way because polyamorous people tend to have a different value system that they put around relationships so in traditional monogamous relationships we tend to celebrate a relationship more the longer it's gone on so wedding anniversary gifts you know ascend in this hierarchy from like paper and tin to rubies and gold and diamonds and so it's to be celebrated if you've stuck it out for a really long time even if you're not happy and you don't really like each other anymore whereas in sort of poly world it would be celebrated if the relationship was still really healthy and positive even if you'd separated and the relationship had changed into a friendship or a different type of connection um relationships are not sort of measured by their duration that's not a measure of their value it might be a really short relationship that really brought something to you and was incredibly powerful and exciting and vibrant and colorful and so i think it alters that narrative that we have about success and failure and these ridiculous binaries that we traditionally have had about breakups and you know if you get divorced if you separate then that's a terrible failure whereas actually if you separate fairly consciously which as we've discussed is not always easy to do Mm. um it's you know maybe that's a real success maybe that's the real triumph and I definitely made a real effort in my last breakup to separate consciously and do a sort of conscious uncoupling in inverted commas <laughs> um, how would you classify well, what would you classify as a conscious uncoupling I think you try to remain friends you try to communicate you try to remain conscious about you know being kind to one another but like you say it's really difficult to do that because you sort of feel like you haven't broken up and yeah. I think that was what we found really difficult because we were still living in the same house in separate rooms for a while but we're still hanging out and doing those stuff later on in a relationship you're not necessarily having loads of sex anyway so that isn't necessarily the thing that has changed because if you're not having sex maybe, maybe you weren't 
in in the latter part of your relationship anyway. Mm. So there does need to be something where there's a recognition of the fact that the relationship was altered. So I think that's the trickiest part to navigate. And I think, yes, a conscious uncoupling is great in theory, but I think that's the probably the part of it that in a in the practical aspect of it we all might struggle with is yeah. that find, finding that definition around it. Um, whereas, of course, I guess if you're polyamorous, you're more used to kind of situations being more fluid mm. um, and, and having sort of multiple partners with evolving connections. So you kind of so, go through it a little bit more than you would if you were in a uh, long-term relationship with one person. Yeah, who knows? It's 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 really interesting. So I did that show, Is Monogamy Dead?, which obviously led to all this kind of thought. And then I did my final part of the trilogy I was talking about was a solo show about breakups, which was actually called The Conscious Uncoupling. That was a show where I sort of wove our breakup emails in with a storytelling show and kind of bits of stand-up. And I also appeared as three ghosts of romantic past, present and future in a sort of bit of a spoof of Christmas Carol and Three Ghosts of Christmas. Sounds Um, absolutely brilliant. (laughs) um, And so, yeah, the ghost of romantic future would have a warning about, you know, where is all this ghosting Mm. leading to sort of a future where perhaps dating becomes the ultimate blood sport and we can simply vaporise our partners. (laughs) Ending the trilogy with breakups made made sense but then after that show all about my own breakup lots of other writers performers would come up to me and start telling me their breakup stories so it made sense to start the breakup monologues podcast where other people could tell me breakup stories and we could share stories and all heal collectively together and hopefully the audience could <laughs> kind of heal and find some laughter about breakups and feel less alone in their breakups too and then when the podcast had been going a little while, I pitched the book and that's, yeah, an audio book as well that I sat and narrated in a funny little booth. <laughs> I got the book today, so I will be reading it from tonight and I am very oh, excited to get started. Hope you enjoy it. Yay. Very excited to get, because this is the other thing that I'd mentioned when I did my um, episode on breakups in the first season, is that there's so many different types of breakups. And I'm really curious to know your input on that. You know, people, the first thing they say when you're going through a breakup is, oh, how long were you together? Yeah. And it's it's like, why is there so much emphasis on the time that you spent together? Why? Oh, yeah, it, that is, that's so interesting because I've talked a lot in the book and on my podcast about breakups that happen after a short time and how those are really diminished in our cultural understanding of breakups because people think, oh, well, you can't really be that upset, can you? Whereas if you've only been with someone a short time, you've probably still built a relationship in your head and projected into the future about what that relationship is going to be like. And because you've never seen all the flaws and annoying habits that that person has, you've not moved in with them and seen you know how disgusting they are so that person remains perfect uh one of my podcast guests a woman called Hayley McGee who's also written a fabulous book about breakups and the sort of the maths the cost of breakups really interesting um yeah she talked about those breakups 
and those relationships being like a sort of unopened gift that's just mm. kind of tantalizing you in its shiny wrapping paper because you've never got to open it you've never got to explore the potential of that partnership so you never really got to go through that journey and come to the end of it it was cut short in a way and you've had the rug pulled from under you in a way that you were really not anticipating because you're your brain was getting ready to enjoy a wonderful relationship. I mean, in our brain, we actually get a reward. Our dopamine receptors kind of get a dopamine hit, not only when we something good happens, but also when we anticipate something good happening. You know, when that thing then doesn't happen, those kind of dopamine receptors are like, hang on a minute, where's my hit of dopamine? <laughs> so we are really discombobulated by love that word love that word (laughs) (laughs) by something that we thought was going to happen that was going to be lovely and exciting and sexy they're not happening so I do think there can be there can be something just as kind of shocking and and sad about you know a relationship ending after a short time so these value systems we have about how long was a relationship and and is that proportional to how long you should be grieving for it 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 is a load of nonsense we shouldn't put any rules or timelines around breakup it's an individual thing and I do think we can all if we want to take our own sweet time to get over it and rediscover ourselves and get into new relationships if we if we want to or embrace being single for a while I think it's um it's down to each individual person. There's a lot of social pressure, isn't there, that we've sort of got, got to get back out there, get dating oh, again. Oh, that's, you know, that's the other thing I was going to say. There is such a stigma about being single over the age of 30, and it does my bloody head in. I thought maybe the, the stigma was lifting a tiny bit, but perhaps I'm wrong because, you know, now I'm getting older and I'm married now so I'm not I'm not feeling that kind of single pressure I think from my perspective so I turned 30 last year and all the way up until yeah like 29 you know no one ever really said anything and for some reason since I've been 30 people are like so when are you having kids when are you getting married I'm like why are you asking me that like I know the answer to it when am I getting married? I don't know when I'm getting married or if I'm getting married or if I'm having children. <laughs> and I always think like people speak before they think about what's actually coming out of their mouths. And there's this perception that number one, right, maybe we have to have children by the time we're 30 or at least be thinking about it or be ready to settle down, get married and sign our life away. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I know women, if they do want to have children, there's certain biological pressure. But yeah, I mean, I know I know some friends of mine who even had kids in their 40s. My mum was 40 when she had me. So yeah, gosh, you know, there, there is still time. I mean, yes, it becomes more difficult to conceive and that kind of thing but mm. <laughs> wow yeah it's, it's just it's yeah scary, it's, isn't it? it's just interesting it's a scary world and I think the whole dating game in general is just really weird obviously I'm in an era where I've been around when apps came out but also I've been around when they weren't here and they didn't exist so I've dated in both sides and personally I prefer not to date 
via an app. I prefer to go out and actually meet someone in real life because you know straight away if you vibe with them, you're not wasting time texting someone and then meeting up with them and, you know, they catfished you or they're dry and boring and you're like, why am I doing this? Because it happens to all of us. And you sit there and you're like, why am I doing this? I've dated guys for a couple of months at a time or whatever and then something's happened and it hasn't worked out and you know maybe it's neither of our faults or maybe it's both our faults but a couple of them have hit me more than long-term relationships and that's why I agree with the way that you framed that in the sense of you just didn't get a chance to play it out so you romanticize everything and how can you get over something that never actually happened yeah I know I, I yeah yeah we're definitely on the same page there I mean, it, it, I just love talking about all this stuff because I think if we if we communicate about it all more, then we start to understand relationships and dating and what a weird minefield it is. I was doing an event reading from my, my two books because um, Is Monogamy Dead? My comedy show also became my first book. And I was reading from both of these books at Cheltenham Literary Festival quite recently. And this young woman came up to me, probably maybe early 20s, and she was like, oh, you know, my ex-boyfriend and I, we, we were so bad at communicating. And if we'd come and see one of your shows, even though we might not have stayed together, I think we would have been so much better at communicating. So that was kind of really sweet and really nice to think that, you know, really kind. all of us, like you and, and like me and like other podcasters and authors who are talking about breakups and dating and love. I think it's an important conversation to have because we have historically been so terrible at talking about it and talking about what we want and what we need mm. and how to go about getting it. But yeah, I'm totally with you on dating apps. Although bizarrely, I did meet my wife on an app before that, I was incredibly cynical. I had had some really horrific experiences. And one funny story, as I say about how I was on Match.com many years ago, where, which is supposed to send you a list of your ideal matches. And the only profile that sent me was my own back to me. <laughs> That's good. But then the, only, the weird thing about that was it calculated that I was a 73% match. So I wasn't even 100% How, yeah. with myself, you know? Yeah, these apps do make me laugh, but it just also shows that, you know, they can work when they want to, but most of the time they don't. But if you get into, like, I've got lots of friends who are married, who are in really healthy, happy relationships. They've met on Hinge, Tinder, Bumble. I do believe that you can find love on an app. They wouldn't be around if they didn't serve a purpose. But I think... The problem is, is that you do a lot more filtering because you're going through all these things where you're going on a couple of dates with people and then figuring out they're not for you. So you go home, you open the app, you swipe left, swipe right, do whatever your thing is, start talking to someone else. And it just continues and the cycle continues. It's a huge amount of work and, and you have to build a large amount of resilience to keep tolerating the disappointment of bad dates. And I think... Perhaps the matching algorithms get more sophisticated. I mean, I've met, you know, really sort of clever science anthropology sort of people who are advisors for some of these sites and, and help devise the algorithms and surveys and the questions that they would ask people when they're signing up that help to match them. I mean, I think when I started using dating apps, it was really simple and frivolous things that people were matched on like tastes in films or music but I think what's important is the sort of deeper values your core values about 
who you are and what your beliefs are about how to be in the world and around other people about being kind or how much you prioritize work and family and connection and you know what what you sort of need and I think that's why people stay in unhappy relationships for so long because they get so accustomed to that person that it's almost it's an, that unknown world of oh my god what do I do without that person I don't know how to live a life or be on my own yeah you've got to just be two individual people in it and I think my friends who are in those relationships that where they are really obsessed with each other and even if you you meet one of them separately they're just talking about the other person <laughs> what are they doing what are they thinking we all have friends like that <laughs> Those are the most unhealthy relationships and they're the ones that are really off and on. They're always having a massive argument, breaking up, not talking to each other for a while. Then they get back together and it's all on again and it's all off again. And it's just a ridiculous roller coaster, but it's just so intense and so draining of everybody's energy. It's it's weird, isn't it, how sometimes those obsessive relationships can be incredibly compelling. I mean, I've been in them in the past, but yeah, ultimately, you have to be able to exist around one another and actually be a bit more pragmatic and almost view the relationship. Obviously, you need some romance and love and all the lovely stuff, particularly in the beginning of the relationship. But I think it becomes a bit like a business. And I don't think there's anything wrong in viewing it in those terms. I had um, Richard Herring, the comedian and podcaster on my show oh, two or three years ago, and he was talking about how in a way it is it is like a business and you're running a business together particularly if you've got children and you're managing a household together you, you've got to negotiate all the time you've got to check in with one another in the same way that you would with a, a colleague you were working with or a, a partner you were you know running a business with I think we just expect it just is magically going to be apparent that this is your soulmate and this is the right person for you. Then it's going to just magically all work out, even when, you know, rubbish things in life happen. Mm. You know, you're just going to solve every challenge and puzzle that is thrown at you. Whereas actually life is really complicated and hard sometimes and you just need to have a good friendship underpinning the relationship and, it, you know, a good sense of humor and and the ability to have a laugh but also communicate and say look I, you know you can talk to me about this anytime how are you feeling about it mm. when things are going on you know um and I think yeah we have this completely idealistic view of romantic love and it's unfortunately not very true um yes there are moments when it feels incredible mm. and like you've got all the sort of butterflies in your tummy um in the podcast actually we talk about the inverse feeling to butterflies in your tummy and we talk about the moths of doom um <laughs> tell me more about this i need to know more <laughs> well yeah we we came up with that phrase on one episode of the podcast uh <laughs> back in series one and yeah we were sort of trying to think of the inverse of butterflies in your tummy and and how you feel when you know things are going wrong and yeah the moths of doom just seemed like it <laughs> seemed like a good I think a that's good a great, great way to frame it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so obviously sometimes it's brilliant falling in love but and sometimes you're really annoyed with each other and they're just 
kind of banging on about something you're not feeling that interested in and you're like oh god that brings me really nicely actually because I was listening to your episode with Dolly Alderton oh yes you know when you two were talking about like the red button you know if you could go into a room press the red button and there'd be no faff or any like stress about it what would you do and I think that's what people kind of they don't do and they don't kind of frame that and then they do end up staying in these relationships but if you could end a relationship that you're not happy in why do people not do it sooner? Yeah, although I think I think the flip side to that is that if there was just a big red button that you could press and it was just really easy to end a relationship and there were no consequences and there was no fallout, there was nobody left feeling upset and heartbroken and, and shocked and there was no other, you know, there, there wasn't that person's family all feeling upset with you and shocked and heartbroken and there weren't children to think about where they're going to live or pets to think about where they're going to live and financial assets to divide and if there was none of that and we had a button that would make it really easy. Oh my God, it could be getting pressed every day. Why do we press it all the time? <laughs> I mean, I do think it's a bit of a worry. I totally see where Dolly was coming from a kind of hassle-free breakup but it would be so tempting you know even in a healthy relationship there are days when you think oh you know what I can't be yeah. bothered <laughs> it is. but I also feel like that makes you appreciate the person more and I suppose when you do have those days of you know when you're arguing or maybe things aren't going so well and there's a bit of friction the days that are really good you then appreciate having those whereas if every day is good or every day you're not communicating how you're feeling and you're pretending that it's good are you lying to yourself mm. I th- yeah I think you're right it all it all makes us appreciate one another more when we do ride through the the difficult times and I think we know deep within ourselves when we really do need to press the button yeah yeah the whole point of this episode is kind of to let you know how how do you be happy when you're heartbroken and I guess you've got to ride through those initial feelings because it's not just that mental pain, it's physical pain as well. For anyone that's been through a really tough breakup, sometimes you can't even think straight. You don't know what's going to make you happy. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and think that you're ever going to feel happy again. So, so many people go through this, this horrible period of time and you know it could be a week, it could be a year, depending on how strong those feelings were for someone. But how 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 do you think you can be happy when you're going through heartbreak? Well, some of the stuff I talk about in the book is just the sort of perhaps obvious things like reaching out to friends um, and trying to be around people, um, laughter, exercise, routines, looking after yourself, trying to you know, eat and sleep. I mean, those things are particularly hard because our appetite and our sort of kind of sleep are really disturbed and and affected by heartbreak Mm. but if we try and keep a routine definitely try and see people and get out and about in fresh air you know obviously in lockdown this was all really really difficult and there were people who went through big breakups and couldn't have a hug from a the best mate but if we can't sort of speak to our friends particularly then you know speaking to a professional a therapist would help us to sort of sort through what's been happening some psychotherapists have advised me that it's often good to think about some of the negative memories about the relationship so as well as the positive ones that it's nice to sort of remember that there were some good times Mm. um those memories can be rather torturous particularly 
in the early stages of the breakup because it can make us put on those rose-tinted glasses and be really pining for that person and thinking that that was the one and we've lost our opportunity to be happy. When, of course, the relationship did go wrong and there will be reasons for that. So it's quite good to remind ourselves of those and actually think about the arguments and the, the days when it was really, you know, not that great in that relationship and think, well, I am free of that. I remember um, doing a performance workshop with a performance artist and she told me to do an exercise where I had to convey heartbreak in a a visual sense uh, using objects in the room. And I found an envelope of um, old photos, like in the old days when you used to get photos printed out. And she had this envelope of old photos from back in the day, smiling at parties with different friends. And so what I did is I lay on the floor and covered myself in the photos because I think heartbreak is about being sort of submerged and almost drowned in memories. Mm -hmm. And particularly the positive, happy memories are really, really torturing us. And obviously in this era of social media, Facebook is always coming up with memories and saying, oh, look at what you were doing two years ago. Like, well, thanks, Facebook. I didn't really want to know about that. That was, you know, when when my cat was still alive or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and, And so we are being confronted with memories all the time. And we take photos on our phones that we can obviously go back and look through and we can really torture ourselves by thinking about all the happy times, whereas it may be healthier to think about some of the negative aspects of the relationship as well. It's um, termed a negative reappraisal strategy and sometimes people working with alcoholics to help them think about stopping drinking, they would get them to think about the negative consequences of drinking. So it's similar kind of idea that you know you have to effectively wean yourself off the addiction that you have to that partner you know we literally become addicted to our partners because when we're in a relationship our brains are releasing all these chemicals that we're really addicted to we you know we're high on endorphins and so when we are dumped particularly if we're the person who wasn't expecting it if if we're the the dumpy rather than the dumper we are in a process of withdrawal so it's really recognizing that and recognizing that it's quite normal that we feel physically you know very odd and not ourselves and not quite in our own bodies Uh, but that will that will change in time and it may even be the making of us it may even be the beginning of a new chapter and to illustrate that idea I actually wrote the book in two halves and the first half tells a sort of backwards timeline and the second half tells a forwards timeline to illustrate that the end of something is always a beginning something new too. Oh I like that I like that a lot it's making me even more excited to read the book (laughs) (laughs) no I, I actually think that's such a such an interesting way to look at it especially with the say it was negative reappraisal because mm. it's funny isn't it when we go through a breakup those positive memories are almost automatic thoughts you think oh we had a lovely holiday together oh that time you know when we did this together but actually you'll forget about that Wednesday when you had a great big argument and you know you didn't talk for three days and you think breakups happen for a reason and sometimes we can't always see that reason especially if we're the ones that have been broken up with or and and it's situation dependent because sometimes breakups can be amicable sometimes something really horrible can happen or sometimes they just reach a natural end 
And I think regardless of the way that they happen, it's such a difficult process for people to go through. And I always say, you know, you have to sit with your feelings. You have to ride it out. So many people will use casual sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever, to go out and get it out of their system without actually getting to the root cause and sitting down and feeling what they they need to feel. Because at some point, you know, whether that is a week or it is a month, they'll come pouring out and probably not in the way that you want them to. Oh God, yes, yes. <laughs> I can remember sometimes when um, when those feelings have come out. <laughs> In Me too. Inappropriate <laughs> situations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it happens to all of us. That's the the beauty of heartbreak is that there's so many songs out there, and it's always funny. Like I've got my little sad playlist that I always just know. I think so many people have written about heartbreak, and there's a reason they've written about it. It's one thing that can kind of bring us all together in a weird way because we know how horrible it can be. But also, I do agree with what you said that actually it can be the making of us because it helps us to understand who we want to be going forward and also what we're willing to put up with and what we're not willing to put up with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Definitely. And I think to round off this wonderful conversation... If you had one piece of advice for someone listening to this episode right now and they've just gone through a breakup and they're feeling like utter crap, what would be your piece of advice for them? I think to remember that you're not alone because we didn't, I think until recently, and a lot of podcasters and authors and comedians started talking about breakups I I don't think we really talked about breakups and heartbreak we all went off on our own to sort of lick our wounds and I don't think that's healthy at all I think sharing your story with other people helps you to sort of re-record the memories because you've got an empathetic person listening and you're changing the narrative in your brain each time that you tell your story again so actually you're reducing the trauma attached to that memory so I do think, yeah, just just remember everyone, everyone has been through heartbreak. Everyone has been dumped or they've gone through the painful process of, of having to dump somebody because the relationship isn't, isn't right and they have to be the person who, who does the terrible deed. And that, that can be awful mm-hmm. too. So, so, yeah, I think it is just remembering that there will be so many people who will totally understand what you're going through um, so it's okay to talk about it and say, oh, my God, I've just been dumped. I think that that is the number one thing to to remember. Everybody out there has been through it too. And uh, you're part of a big community of people who've been through heartbreak. And we've all managed, hopefully, to, to see the other side of it. There is hope <laughs> and you're definitely not alone. Yeah. And there is light at the end of the tunnel whether you've been together for three months or three years, your heartbreak matters. The people that are meant to be in your life will be there for you, regardless of whether it was a short-term thing or a long-term thing, because they will know that actually you can be hurt at any any stage of, of the process. Yeah, definitely. There is life after heartbreak, guys. You just got to sit with your feelings and remember you're not alone. And there's many, many people that will understand what you're going through. But Rosie, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad that I got you on to chat. It's been a very enlightening conversation. And yes, thank you again. 
Oh, thank you. Well, I'd love people to keep in touch if they've been interested at all in, in anything that we've been discussing. I'm on Instagram at Breakup Monologues and on Twitter at Rosie Wilby. And the podcast is available and the Breakup Monologues book is available at all good kind of book places as well. well go and buy her book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And on that note, I will be leaving shortly to read my book and I'll let you know how I get on with it. I'm really looking forward to it. But yes, thank you so much and take care and we'll see you soon. If you've enjoyed today's episode, I'd be really grateful if you could take some time to rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you give my Instagram a follow at the dating diaries underscore underscore, you'll be kept up to date with the latest episode information, as well as accessing lots of key tips to support you with improving your romantic relationships. I also really love hearing from my listeners, so feel free to pop me a DM and I'll get back to you when I can. That's all from me for now. Take care and I'll be back soon with another episode for you all.